Good morning, Gospel Tab fam. Everybody here and online, visitors, welcome. We're so glad that you're with us. As Joel said, I'm Steve Rossi. I'm a pastor here at the church. It's always an honor to be with you in this capacity. I was sharing that with some folks I asked to pray for me. What an honor to preach Christ. <laughs> I mean, this is humbling indeed. Um, I'm so encouraged by the faith that we're getting for authority. You can hear it not just in the lyrics of these songs, right? But in the sound of us as his people. You can hear it in the, so the sound of faith. I'm not talking about some mysterious spiritual thing. You could just hear belief in the room. You can hear people as they sing, how they sing, um, believing that God is who he says he is. And that comes from a deeper revelation of who he is and who we are in him. So we're going to explore that as we always do um, from a particular text today. Um, let's pray. Father God, we worship you in reverence and awe for you're a consuming fire. You are holy and jealous for your people, Lord God. And we thank you, Lord God, that you expose not to condemn, but to heal. That you come gentle and lowly and meet us right where we are, Lord God, when you know we're ready. Lord God, we receive what you have for us today. Holy Spirit, be upon me and remain, and may only your words go forth to open hearts that we pray for impartation and transformation by your gospel power and in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, if you'll open your devices with me or look on the screen uh, along with me and read out loud uh, with me, uh, we're going to be in Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11 in our text for this morning of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Let's read out loud together. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while other cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, 
This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The word of the Lord. So Jesus enters Jerusalem here on the donkey between the time he raised Lazarus from the dead and Passover. Passover is a time as, um, that commemorates when the Israelites were passed over by God during the 10th and final plague through which they were ultimately delivered from Egypt's oppressive rule. And so they would remember this and still do. In fact, today is the first full day of Passover on the Jewish calendar. And about two million people would be gathered there that day to commemorate that time so many hundreds of years before. And so when Jesus comes, it says that the whole city is stirred. And there are different groups of folks there. Last week, Brooke taught us, strap on your sandals, get into the story, right? Um, there are crowds uh, from Galilee, the surrounding region, that many of whom would believe in him. And you see that went before him and behind him and sang, confess, son of David, Hosanna, God saves. And uh, also those who just seen Lazarus raised from the dead. So they too would believe in Jesus as this one who was to come, even the Messiah. There were still many others, though, who asked that question, right? Unfamiliar or unbelieving Jews, from Jeru many from Jerusalem, who were saying, who, who is this, you know? And still others answered that he was only a prophet. Now that still had significance, too, um, to be named uh, the prophet as also as the one who was to come. And so these different crowds are seeing Jesus ride in on a donkey. And, you know, the donkey does represent humility. The scripture ties those together, right? He comes in lowly or humble and riding on a donkey. But also the donkey can represent power and wealth and influence, uh, even royalty, uh, as we saw in Israel's history when Deborah, for instance, sang a song of victory centuries prior, saying that the sons of the tribes who won this battle rode, were princes and rode on a white donkey, which would signify this. Or how about when Solomon was put on King David, his dad's donkey, to be inaugurated as his successor as king? And so you could understand why unbelieving or unfamiliar Jews seeing him ride on a donkey, they would still recognize possibly that, you know, this was a kingly entrance, even if they didn't believe in him as king. Um, but you can also imagine not knowing who he was, why this was perplexing for them. But now imagine that you are the crowds from Galilee who are chanting and worshiping and agreeing and you see him riding in and might recognize that the lordship in riding on that donkey, that, that the power and the wealth it might represent. But you would probably be perplexed too because of the context or the day in which they lived. You know, Solomon, after all, ruled in a time of peace and prosperity, and he was the actual king of Israel. <laughs> Jesus is riding in as though king during a time of the oppressive rule and tyranny of Rome over occupied Jerusalem. And so it's like, did Jesus miss the memo? <laughs> was 
did he not understand the day in which they lived um, to be riding in on that rather than a war horse? In fact, these believers would believe what they understood in part, that Jesus was the one who would save, but how would he save? What would he save? Would he save their people Israel only? Would he save their city in these days and weeks and months ahead in war and conquest? Or was their vision wrong or at least small? Was Jesus confused or were they? Or did Jesus have a revelation to give them about what was going on as, symbol, as symbolized by the way in which he rode in that day? Daniel 2 prophesied that in 490 years, this one would come and atone for the wickedness of his people. And he would come as the Messiah. And as they chanted, Son of David, that would be, uh, one commentator said, that would be synonymous, interchangeable. You know, that they understood this. So now imagine you are this fourth group, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, who taught man-made laws rather than um, the word of God, oftentimes who didn't believe in Jesus, though many saw his miracles. See, they had a lot of political interests that came with Rome ruling, so they didn't want a king. And despite knowing the word of God, the Old Testament, better than anybody, categorically, they could not see, because sometimes we are all spiritually blinded, right, by the things we're familiar with and want to protect, when in reality, it's keeping us from the true freedom and peace that Jesus is offering. You know, when I was little, I was real into, like many kids, I was into superheroes. And for me, and I'm dating myself here, it started with He-Man. So any He-Man? No, no, one, no one hears that? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Rich. I knew I'd, I, I was going to call on you if you didn't raise your hand now. Uh, <laughs> I need some help over here. No, so <laughs> He-Man, it's like the church is growing younger, and I'm feeling that more every week in staff meetings especially. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> and we got people in their mid-20s laughing up here. It's okay. <laughs> um, so, but anyway, you know, I, this epic battle would happen between He-Man and Skeletor, and Skeletor lived at Castle Grayskull, and he was about to overthrow the world or whatever altered universe they were a part of. Uh, I'm glad to say I don't remember a lot of the details, but He-Man would always win in the end. And then I graduated to Batman, you know, sorry, Superman fans. I was ruined to Batman and, and, and how he would protect Gotham City, right? And he would fight against his enemies and prevail. And, uh, you know, he had, his arch nemesis was probably the Joker, right? And uh, when it looked like there was complete demise, destruction on the horizon for Gotham City, Batman would pull it out. And there's something in us that even as youngsters, and we can't identify why or what these things are for us um, and their meaning, that is we're drawn to these epic battles, right? Who's, who has in their top three, you know, a favorite movie that in includes this epic battle of good ultimately defeating evil? And so this is what you can understand, uh, you know, what they were hoping for here. And it, it wasn't just that good defeated evil, but it was how it did, right? That was part of the appeal, outsmarting them, stronger, um, that they had bigger, better, cooler weapons, right? 
And yet, this was different. So like, you know, admittedly for me, it's a little unappealing, Jesus riding in on a donkey. It's like, man, where's the war horse to fight, to fight against injustice, right? And it's, you know, for the same reason that a man told Brene Brown at her book signing about the topic of vulnerability, my, I can't be vulnerable. My wife and daughter would rather me die than fall off my war horse. And, you know, maybe he had a wrong picture of that and it was his own internal issues. Maybe it was true about his daughter and wife. Maybe it was both. But culture tells us be strong, be invulnerable, use the weapons of the enemy to protect yourself from him. I'm sure that will work better. So isolate and don't ever trust anyone again because you were hurt that one time. Or escape through addiction even though now it's destroying you and your relationships. Or how about perform good enough because you are what you do. And if you're successful and well-liked, then you'll be accepted and good enough, all the while producing shame for the times you fall short because after all, you are what you do. Not who God says you are. And so these lies, these weapons of the world, we can tend to use too, right? And in the twisted deceit of the enemy, it only entangles us more toward our destruction. And so, you know, Jesus' kingdom is a different type of kingdom. And Jesus' weapons are different kinds of weapons. We like to ask the question around here in sermons like this, who is Jesus? And in this passage, Jesus is king but he's a different kind of king. And if you can put up on the screen the prophecy, the full prophecy of Zechariah, he said, do you guys have that up there? Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal, of a donkey. So he wasn't just humble, he was righteous and victorious. If Jesus wasn't righteous, were a people to be most pitied. Because if he wasn't a perfect sacrifice, his sacrifice, his death on the cross, would have not satisfied God's wrath on sin and death. And we still would be, a, and then we would be a people without hope. But you see, Jesus didn't just come all, all but forcing the hand of religious leaders to act because of all the people who were there for Passover. He came in the urgency of the timing of the day in which he lived because he had to be sacrificed on Passover. Jesus saw in full what they saw in part. And today, he sees in full, and we only see in part. <laughs> How important it is for us to humble ourselves and keep seeking revelation of the revelator, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he didn't just come as one who was righteous, he came as one who was humble. And the Bible Project does a good job of breaking this down by describing that in the first section of the Psalms, Psalms 1 through 14, Jesus is personified 
in King David's oppression as he lamented of his enemies attacking him and how he was oppressed um, as the king of Israel, albeit. Or the poor and afflicted in general in Psalms 9 through 14 who lamented and asked God for deliverance and for healing and for help. This whole section demonstrated the humility of the poor and afflicted, the weakness that was met with power for deliverance. So Jesus in Psalm 2, when he's installed by the Father as king prophetically, we don't just get the picture of him as victorious there. We get the picture surrounding that of him as one who would take on our oppression. And in Psalm 8, right in the middle of that section, if you could put that on the screen. It says, Through the praise of children and infants, you've established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. The way of Jesus' rule is different, and this really exemplifies it or encapsulates it here. You see... We know this is the way of Jesus. It's a way that confounds the wise. It confounds the intellect of man. Because Jesus didn't come riding on a war horse. He rode on a colt. We've established this. But he also didn't come with a crown of gold and jewels, but received a crown of thorns. And Jesus was not raised as a king on a throne, but raised as on a cross so that all men would be drawn to him. You see, they had seen in part that this was the one in all the good that he taught and did, but they didn't see in full neither how he would be king nor what effect his kingship would have on humanity, not just the Jewish people. They saw in part, he came in weakness and humility because he understood that through his suffering, he would bring and see the light of life, even eternal life. That through his death on the cross, that he would bring the provision for our sins, forgiveness and healing. That through his resurrection from the dead, he conquered sin and death once and for all. And he was not just raised from the dead, but raised to the Father's... If you could put it up there, Savannah. But he was raised to the Father's right... Excuse me, right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God places all things under his feet and appointed him head over everything for the church. Jesus is humble, Jesus is righteous, and Jesus is victorious. His nature, his name is King of Kings, and therefore it is in his nature, his essence, to rule. And Jesus, though crowned with thorns, would be crowned with a crown of many crowns. And though he rode in on a colt this day, in this passage, he will ride again, but on a white horse, with a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, and a robe that's dipped in blood with the name King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Faithful and True, Word of God. 
to slay everything, every king who will remain unrepentant. Listen, Jesus wept that day in Luke's account of this passage. He wept for those who didn't believe. He said, oh, Jerusalem, if you knew what would bring you peace. But they refused to repent. He weeps for those kings who won't turn to him and pay homage in the days to come, who won't serve him and celebrate his rule, who won't trust in him with their lives. He weeps today even as he wept for them that day. You know, but Jesus isn't up for re-election. <laughs> There's no vote like, is he going to be king next year too? Um, <laughs> he's really not, he cares about our well-being a whole lot more than we do, but he does not interested in our approval or opinions, nor those kings, nor those religious leaders that day. Jesus is looking for confession. Jesus is looking for agreement that brings us into alignment with truth that sets us free and brings us peace. You know, Kiara taught me this. Um, she might have said it at a service, I don't know, but um, in the day when Israel had kings in that era, oftentimes when a king won a battle, they would uh, take the robe of another king and tie it to their robe to show um, that, you know, their victories. And so it makes sense that in those days, Isaiah, when he had a vision of the Lord, saw the train of Jesus' robe filling the temple. An increase just presently, continuously, just filling the temple in this vision. And a few chapters later, Isaiah would prophesy, the increase of his government and peace will have no end. And so um, you see that Jesus is victorious. And how many of you know he's still winning battle after battle, even in this moment as I speak? He is finding souls for the harvest, and those he finds, he does not lose. And he's, finding he's awakening laborers for the harvest from his church right now and now and now. Jesus is winning battle. We just sang it. He's winning every battle, battle after battle. Jesus is not just victorious. He's undefeated. And he is still receiving the fullness of his victory. And how many of you know that he leads captives in that train? He leads captives in that train. What does that mean? People who went from being slaves to sin like me and like you and are now slaves of righteousness captives and it's in that it's in that slavery under Jesus that we are actually free amen for the first times in our lives we are free under his rulership and so what about you for anyone online or here who has not let Jesus ride in on the proverbial donkey <laughs> as king of your heart. What about you? Is God, as he did that whole city that day, stirring your heart, saying, receive me, trust in me, experience my freedom and my peace? If that is you, know that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart on this day, that you will be saved. And what that means is that you will have eternal life starting now. 
And eternal life is to know our Father in heaven and Jesus Christ, his Son. That you can be in relationship with him, reconciled because of what he's done for you and me on the cross. And what about you believers? Is Jesus stirring something in you, touching something in your soul, highlighting something to heal you, to bring you peace in that place that's being stirred? You know, we can live under the lie that we're striving and surviving, even as believers, right? Um, But are you striving and surviving, or are you receiving and thriving? Are you sitting under the table trying to get scraps from it under the lie that you don't have a seat at it. Jesus is saying, come up here. Come up here and sit with me and dine with me and me with you and get a revelation of who I am as king and who you are, therefore, as king and who you are, therefore, as queen. And the more you submit to his rule, brothers and sisters, the more you surrender and trust in him with those places in your soul, the more you'll live from his rule. The more you submit to his rule, the more you will walk in the authority with which he entrusts you. The more you will have faith for what he's given you to rule. And do you know what that rulership looks like? It looks like the weakness and the humility that Jesus demonstrates in his rule. It's not lording over, it's laying down. And when you lay down and serve those who he's entrusted you with, you will raise them up as he does you. And so I just want to encourage us in that, that God is raising us up and giving us faith for authority. The more we submit to his rule, the more we make disciples. After all, he said, all of heaven, or I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. That's the connection piece. That's the connection piece. And so if someone can come up and play, or if you can play uh, music from up there, I don't know if that's possible. It's okay if not. I just want to close with a story um, that I think exemplifies this well. And so uh, I'll call him Winston. I don't know anyone named Winston. So if there's a Winston online and people see him in the comments, it's not him. Um, so <laughs> I'm calling this guy Winston. This is a real story, though. <laughs> um, he's, a, he's a friend who I met with and who said to me, you know, I always, in, in so many words, he said, I always feel like the other shoe's about to drop. Like when good stuff's going on in my life, that that's when something bad's definitely going to happen. And he started to share, um, you know, just the backdrop to that pattern, like what happened in his life by way of trauma and some patterns of behavior that came out of that. And um, I said, man, it sounds like that could be the influence of a kind of like foreboding spirit in your life. And when I said that, he heard a scream in his head. And he said, hey, and he just told me what happened. And he said, will you pray for me? And so we began to pray and he started to come under the spirit's conviction and ask God for forgiveness for believing in the lies that, that God's promises wouldn't prevail, but rather this bad would come for his future. And he began to reject those and renounce those in repentance. And I, um, I just called to attention any evil spirit that was influencing him um, in that way. And he went in, Winston went into a vision. 
And in the vision, he saw a demon behind him and Jesus standing at his right hand. But then in the vision, the vision shifted, the scene shifted. And he saw, he was, look, he was now seated at the right hand of our heavenly father and looking down at the demon. See, he was coming into faith for what was true. He was coming into alignment with what the scriptures testify when they say, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Or when they say, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And once you know, Winston got a vision of a blue footstool. <laughs> and this demon was not leaving, but the Lord told Winston, tell Steve to send it to the footstool. And so he told me, and so I did, and he saw it go into this footstool. And he began in the vision to not just shout with shouts of victory, but to even um, be put on uh, God's shoulders. God put him on his shoulders. <laughs> and, um, and they were shouting and victorious together. And um, he stood up in the natural and he was shouting and, and just like full of joy. And I started worshiping with him and thanking God. And, and it was so cool because even as a sign, there was a woman just totally unrelated to our time, but she was in a meeting downstairs. She started laughing and laughing laughing and laughing downstairs and um, we later found out they didn't hear us or anything upstairs and you know it was unrelated but anyway as Winston is is just celebrating and worshiping the Lord told him you're going to give this joy to others take Steve's hands and so he took my hands he said, I'm supposed to release this to you and he started praying joy over me guys this is the picture of our inheritance. How many of you know that Jesus is always with us and everything he has is ours? And that's in the Bible too. <laughs> it's legal. That's true. And everything he has is ours. His inheritance is ours. He said, may you have the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know the hope you which, to which you've been called, the glorious riches of your inheritance and the power of the resurrection that works so greatly toward you who believe. And so what was happening for Winston that day was he was not just coming into truth for his forgiveness, for his healing, for his freedom. He was being given his ministry. <laughs> See, God says, notice what happened first. Winston in humility and weakness went low. He could have heard that scream and just been ashamed. Gosh, you know, that was weird. <laughs> and just kept it to himself in pride um, and not experience breakthrough that day. And Jesus would still love him just the same and just be gentle with him and wait on him, right? And he would meet him another time and then circle back to that same place. But, but listen, when you take on the form that Jesus did and you humble yourself as he did when he rode in on that donkey, you position yourself not just for your freedom, but for others through your ministry. Let's pray. Jesus, we love your kingship. We love your way, the way of the cross, the way that doesn't lord over but lays down, Lord God, the way of submission, because you are king and you rule. And when we submit to you, Lord God, we can walk in your authority and power. Lord, we are your ambassadors. And I just speak ambassador over you guys in the name of Jesus. You're ambassadors of the ministry of reconciliation. 
you are God's legal representatives through the blood of Jesus Christ to go in his authority and power. It's like he's given you the badge to minister wherever he sends you this freedom, this forgiveness, this healing. Just receive it in faith right now in the name of Jesus. Amen.